Welcome to the Scribner Australia podcast, books that talk. Hello, my name is T. Bennett Daylight and I'm a writer, a teacher and a literary critic. I'm an author of several books, the most recent of which is a collection of essays, The Details on Love, Death and Reading. This book was the inspiration for this series of podcasts and it explores the way readers absorb books into their daily lives and bring their daily lives into their reading. Today, I'm talking to Christina Olson, who's an author of three novels, In One Skin, The China Garden that won the Barbara Jeffress Award, and Shell, which was shortlisted for the Australian Book Industry Award. She's also written two works of non-fiction, Kilroy Was Here and Boy Lost, a family memoir, which won the 2013 Queensland Literary Award for Best Non-Fiction and the Nita Kibble Literary Award. It was also shortlisted for the Victorian Premier's Literary Award New South Wales Premier's Literary Award, the Stella Prize, and the Australian Human Rights Commission Literature Award. Chris's journalism and non-fiction have been published in The Australian, Courier Mail, The Sunday Telegraph, and Griffith Review. And she's worked extensively as a teacher of creative writing and journalism. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Tegan. Lovely to have you here. Let's talk first. I like to ask all of my authors this, about the idea of being in conversation with a book. Can you tell me what that means to you, first as a reader and then as a writer? Um, I, I see them both as twined together, really, because I kind of think that you change as a writer and as a reader. You grow and you learn, I think, with each book that you write, certainly for me, uh, and with each book you live, just like with each day, that you live. Uh, and I think because of that, you know, you certainly as a writer, you read differently year to year. Um, and I guess what I mean is that the books you've already read, you read differently when you come back to them because you've grown and you've learned and everything seems different. And they change beneath your reading eye because you have changed. So I think it goes for both, you know, me as a reader and as a writer that this, it is it's almost like a live conversation that sort of goes underground in between readings of a certain book and then just flowers upwards when you pick it up again because of everything you've been through in, in the time in between. Um, you, you know, things leap out, out at you that um, you hadn't seen before um, uh, or familiar paragraphs take on something different. I really love that. Mm. And it becomes a conversation, I think. It is. It's a bit like a friendship as well, isn't it? That the, 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 even though people might think that a book is an inert thing, it's not inert, is it? It actually changes with you as you change. It really does. And I think that goes for the books we're writing as well. Um, I, f I, find, I find it very intimate, that, that yeah. relationship. Even more intimate than a friendship sometimes. Yeah. Um, very consoling. Yeah, yeah. And actually, you, you've made me curious, before we go on to name the book that you're going to talk about today, I wonder if you could just give me a little jump back into your childhood and let me know if there's a couple of books from your childhood that you entered into that very deep conversation with early on. I did with um, Steinbeck, of all people. How interesting. I I know, that's very strange, isn't it? In, you know, I guess I'm talking about early teens here. Um, and a couple of the books 
the names are going to escape me right now, um, the Grapes of Wrath mainly, I think. And I think perhaps because of that age, you know, you're on the cusp of leaving childhood, entering adulthood, the themes in that book and, and the portrayals of the people in it just went straight to my heart. I mean, it broke my heart reading that book. I remember crying mm. over it. But for that reason, I did go back to it because I knew that something had happened between me and the book for me to have that reaction to it. And people had just, I don't know, I think I didn't pick it up voluntarily. People had given it to me, I think. Someone had given it to me for a birthday present. And I've been reading Dickens and people like that, so I think that's why I was given these books. But I'm really glad. I mean, it wasn't, you know, there isn't particularly really, you know, a childhood book that I can, that I would go Oh, well, that's, that's, that is a really, it's the, the first one I've got like that, and that is a really, really interesting book. So, oh, wow. And to today's book of the moment, what is the book that you're still in conversation with today? The book is Fugitive Pieces by the Canadian poet and novelist Anne Michaels. Lovely. Um, now, I, what, one of the things I also want to say to my listeners is that I, every time I come to this process, I discover that the writer has chosen a book that I know really well and that's important to me as well. Can you pretend that I don't know anything about it and let us know what this book is about, but also about its texture, what it's like? Tell us everything. Um, I have to start this conversation by saying that for me, reading this book is more like entering an atmosphere. It's, got, it's almost like it's got its own oxygen and its own way of breathing and, and that I, you know, after I read it the first time, I realised I was breathing with it in a way. You know, you kind of wander into it on the first page and it swallows you or swallows me. Um, and I know, I know this sounds extreme in, in many ways, but the first, that first time I felt that I, I felt that I kind of had to keep reading to stay alive. It was just that, that, that atmosphere, that I was in this atmosphere and breathing this and that's what I had to breathe. Um, of, of course, that is partly because of its subject matter, you know, which, which um, covers a boy after World War II or during World War II being rescued in Poland after his family has been killed, his Jewish family has been killed, and he's rescued by a man who wraps him up in his own clothes to take him to safety. I mean, that whole image of this boy, he emerges from the earth, he's been digging holes for himself to hide, he's so terrified and he's become mute as well. So he, he hides himself on the earth and this morning he emerges from the earth and there is Athos, this man who will save him, who is an archaeologist. And I think all these images, and they're all so meaningful that this archaeologist and poet and geologist finds him, this man who has this, such intimate relationship with the earth. And that image of this boy is one, of course, I can never lose. Um, it just reverberates so strongly of... of it's of the book's subject matter, which is the Holocaust and its own reverberations, I guess, and of all the things that were done to people. Um, but also, you know, it really it speaks to me of things that the earth protects as well. And it had protected mm. this little boy. So he smuggled to Greece where he is hidden until the war is over and he becomes, he becomes a student of Athos in a way. He... He learns everything that Athos is doing and Athos gives him his life, basically. So the story split into they then, after the war, moved to Canada 
and this boy becomes uh, a man, of course, and a, and a wonderful poet. And the book is, when you read, you know, I've had to read it several times to really get the, you know, in terms of its structure. Athos is actually, uh, Jacob is actually um, uh, is writing this from old age. And so the book becomes his, becomes his story. And then, it, and then it switches to another, another man uh, in Canada as well. But it's all around, I suppose, um, it's around atrocity and, uh, and what, what, as she says in the book somewhere, there, there is nothing we won't do to each other, but also there is nothing we won't do for each other. Mm. So those two points on the compass. Mm. Mm. And what is it? Why? I mean, I, I, think, I think the listeners can hear, even in your voice, it changes as you talk about this book. Why has it been so important to you? I love the idea of you saying, because, because I really relate to the idea of you don't so much read a book. I said to a bunch of students last night, I said, it's as though I'm eating it or, or I've got my fingers in it or something when I'm reading it. So what, what is it that this book does that makes it still so alive for you? Is it because it speaks to... Uh, subject matter that's familiar to you or is it because of the way that it's written or is it both? What is it? I think it's um, both of those things. And, and of course, it is a bodily thing, isn't it? When a book is, is, becomes so important to you, it is like you ingest it, I think, and it becomes part of the way you walk around the world. Certainly that was the case with this one. I think I think at first it, it was, of course, Michael's... Um, use of language and and the, and she uses language in fragmented images and motifs such a lot um and and she i think she thinks and writes in these images and motifs to start with so i think what happens is then is we we all become we become complicit in in the writing because of that as we all have to as readers don't we we have to become complicit with the writer um, and in the, you know, complicit with the questions and the images that she's suggesting is suggesting to us. And I think you know that certainly chimed with me because I write in scenes. I can never sit down and write beginning to end. I write in a straight in line. Yeah, yeah. No, never. It's always completely loopy in every sense of that word. So straight away, I recognise that way of writing. I suppose as you know. She's an extraordinary, extraordinary writer. And I suppose I always, you know, would have liked, I would have had the ambition to be able to write like her. I don't think there's anyone else like her. Um, so that's a huge ambition when I gave up long ago. Um, but but I, I guess we're all drawn a little bit to writing that does chime with our own or, or ways that we might like it to turn out sometime. And because I do write in scenes and that sort of gradual accretion of image and character trait and, and also meaning. Mm. I, guess I really thought she had something to teach me. And, and has that relationship with the book extended to a further relationship with Michael's work? Are you reading her poetry, her other books as well? Uh, I've read, I've, of course, I've read The Winter Vault and I've reread that as well. Not as much as I have uh, fugitive pieces. And no, I haven't read her poetry, although I know from others that it's very powerful certainly on my list to do. Um, I guess there was a, a little fear when I'm writing myself, you know, that reading one writer's stuff 
you know, too much of one writer's stuff can so easily bleed into your writing. And on the one hand, that's a nice thing to happen with Michael's, but you've got to detach from it at some stage. So, uh, no, I think I've made that deliberate decision to go, you know, that I'm so in love with this book and so deeply into it that I'll just be careful with what else, um, what other, you know, outside the genre. Mm. Sometimes, sometimes with an author I feel this ridiculous sense that I've got all the time in the world. I don't know why, because I don't have all the time in the world. <laughs> I know I'm going to die one day. But I sometimes think I'll read that soon. But don't worry, there will be time. Some authors give you that expansive feeling perhaps as well. Absolutely, they do. And I have certainly had that feeling with her. Um, and, yeah, I mean, so many, my reading, of course, like I'm hoping like many others, is shockingly deficient. Um, you know, there's so many things I haven't read, so many writers I haven't read that I feel like I should have or, you know, read more deeply perhaps apart from that very, you know, uni when you might just have to read, read something for an assignment. So a brief acquaintance or something. Yeah, mm. I feel there's so, so much more still to be, to be done. There's so much that I want to ask you about this because I can feel how deeply you're engaged with it. Okay. Here's what I want to ask next. Imagine I haven't read the book and you want to recommend it to me. So it's not so much about telling me what's in it because we've, we know now what's in it. What do you say to a new reader? Why do you say read this? I say its sentences are beautiful. Yeah. And that meaning comes up out of them. And I, and I, I, I really believe that. I think David... Malouf said at first, you know, I think he said that he finds meaning at sentence level when he's writing. That's that, and, and I think that's the way we read him as well. And I think that's one of the things that I would say, especially to a writer, but of course to a reader as well, that you can read her at sentence level and and suddenly have things rise up in you that you understand much more than you did before after one page only a page, sometimes even a paragraph, because mm. it's so dense, but also easily read, that you mm. don't need to read a whole chapter to feel like you've been moved in some way or altered in some way, the way you do with some books, which is fine, but I love this way that she can just turn something around, you know, on a dime. She, she, it's, it's there and it's, it's meaty and it's real, um, but you can get it in one sentence. That's such a beautiful description of it and I know exactly what you mean. That sort of writing where you read a sentence and then you spend the next 10 minutes looking into the middle distance. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I feel chemically altered by, yeah. by it. And, God, I, I think that would be an ambition of mine as a writer to be able to do that for a reader, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We... Um, my, some of my close writing friends and I often talk about the sort of writer who makes you want to write. And you never know who that writer is going to be for you. But mm. some writers, you can't keep reading them because you have to put the book down and get writing. Does Anne Michaels work like that for you? Yeah, absolutely. I do have to put her down. And I only pick her up at certain times in my own writing process. And that's sometimes when I'm stuck or sometimes when I just need reassurance that... Um, this is possible. I may not be able to pull it off in the way she does, but that beauty is possible in, in at sentence level and that meaning can emanate 
uh, in that way as well. Um, and I also, you know, because she's writing hard things and we all write hard things sometimes, um, but, you know, for instance, she taught me that you don't need big and frightening words to talk about atrocity. You really don't. It's so interesting. They can be small and still, you know, gut you. And, and meaning is absolutely there. And that's in a phrase. Yeah. yeah, that's beautifully put. Because there is a kind of stillness to the way that she writes, isn't there? She's not, she's not frantic to make you feel, is she? Absolutely. That's a lovely way of putting it. It's true. And you can just linger there with, the, with those sentences and keep going over and over them and not feel that push as you do with some books to just quickly turn the page and see what's happening over there. I never feel that with her. I feel like it'll come. Mm. Whatever's coming, come. I'll just stay here for a while. And, and as you say, it's not about what happens next. It's, what, it's about what's happening now. <laughs> what, a, what an enormous gift. I think... I know, I think you and I are both, oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's what I once said about me. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because when, um, when reading is at its best, it makes, you know, we're always talking about how we have to be in the present, blah, 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 blah. It's so bloody hard. When reading is at its best, you are fully present, aren't you? You yeah. are right there, right there. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's so right. That just reminded me what you said then of something Peter Carey said. Well, I think when he won his second Booker Prize, um, and I remember saying this to students afterwards, you know, when they get in a little bit too puffed up about something they're doing, and he said something like in his speech, he said, um, when you're you're writing at your best, what you write is better than you are. And really good for students to hear that, I think. Or for us to be reminded, of course, sometimes too. That, yeah. That's yeah. Oh, you're so you're so right. It's just <laughs> this has been a delight. This is uh, every time I do this, it's a delight. It's full of surprises. I love it. Um, thanks so much for talking to me today, Chris. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure to you. It's been fun, hasn't it? Um, um, I think this is a conversation that Chris and I have really only just begun, and I think it's a conversation that's going to be going on for some time. I've been talking to Chris Olson, novelist, memoirist and teacher, and Fugitive Pieces by Anne Michaels is still in print and available from all good bookshops.